Welcome, everyone, to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fauntleroy. It is so good to see all of you on this beautiful day. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I am your host, James Fauntleroy. As per usual, the JB Font Show is available on all major podcast platforms like Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network. So you can find me on the RBN Live on Tuesdays at 4, the Savvy and JB Show on Thursdays at 6, and the JB Show on Sundays at 1 p.m. Now, please make sure to give this video a thumbs up. That actually presses us out forward into the algorithm because you know that the algorithm doesn't like voices like this. It's a corporation. Guess what? So that's one of the reasons why. Also, if you guys would like to, you guys can also become patrons on Patreon and Coffee. Shout out to the patrons on Patreon and Coffee as well as members. Without you guys, I would not have a channel. Thank you so very much. And I'm deeply humbled and grateful for all your support. As per usual, uh, you guys would like to, you guys can also go to my Substack. I also have a Substack so you guys can get the email notifications as well for my channel so that you guys can get those notifications because guess what the notifications on some of these platforms aren't that reliable so it's best to get it straight from me so as per usual i will talk to the guests in a little bit love all of you good to see you but we have a special guest with us today journalist wyatt reed Wyatt, so good to have you thanks so much so good to be here thank you for having me on man yeah, it's definitely a privilege to have you on because, I mean, you've been doing a lot of work, especially around the world, regarding, uh, you know, talking about different uh, things that have been happening yeah. on the ground. Uh, you know, as far as anti-imperialism, you've been speaking on the ground as far as the uh, proxy war in Ukraine. You've been speaking on the ground uh, as far as the things that have been happening in Bolivia and Nicaragua. And so, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, really appreciate you. Uh giving me the opportunity to speak with your audience here. So thanks. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you first, and you know, I have a few questions, is that you're a journalist in the independent media space. What was one of the first things that drove you to be a journalist? And can you give us a brief summary into how you got into that journalism and inspired you? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And we kind of started getting into it a little bit off air and it sounds like we have kind of a, a similar um beginning point or or, mm -hmm. or origin story a little bit where um you know i think we, we we both had uh aspirations towards the journalism world from a probably a younger age you know mm -hmm. i was um i was like the editor of my high school newspaper um, but I did not go to college. It sounds like uh, you didn't either. Uh, didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, okay. When I say I didn't go to college, I took a tour when <laughs> I was in ninth grade. That was about it. That's as far as I got into college. I made my way through a little bit of community college. Uh, I dropped out. Um, yeah. So I'm not not much further ahead of you on the college front there. But it sounds like it didn't really matter in the end you know uh we somehow managed to make a way through to find our way into the field anyway 
personally, I kind of um, became pretty disillusioned, I think, with mm. with the mainstream journalism world. And I couldn't really even necessarily envision uh, or I or had difficulty envisioning myself really pursuing this for a big chunk of my life um, because yeah. it just seemed like journalism is kind of for sellouts, you know, for basically corporate or, or, you know, like linguistic mercenaries or something like that. Just people who know how to use words and are willing to sell that ability to the highest bid or something, you know. So I, yeah. I kind of... Um, I put that on the back burner at the very least. I really kind of just rejected the idea, I think, for a long time um, that, that I would go back and pursue this. Um, but in the past four or five years, I got drawn back into kind of the world of anti-imperialism. Um, I became kind of more active in more sort of like activist work. Um, if you remember, there was uh, the the Venezuelan embassy was basically besieged by gusanos, by like right-wing super rich Venezuelan emigres who wanted to steal the embassy. Like they stole Venezuela's natural resources and give it to some unelected charlatan by the name of, of Juan Guaido. A bunch of us in D.C. kind of took up the defense of that embassy, um, you know, at the invitation of the Venezuelan government. Um, they kind of gave us the keys and said, you know what, like we're getting kicked out. We've been labeled persona non grata in this country, but we don't want this institution that belongs to our country and our people to be stolen and given away um, to some financial speculators. Uh, so we basically helped protect this embassy from the this mob of just like rabid anti-socialist anti-communist ideologues who were <laughs> tormenting us outside from you know 7 a.m till 10 p.m like screaming all types of terrible things screaming all types of like racial slurs and stuff at people and doing this all with the protection of uh the metropolitan police department and the state department I'm really probably yes. doing it at, at the behest, at their behest. Um, and uh, so that was a way that I kind of got linked into the the anti-imperialist people and groups that were happening in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. at the time. This was mm -hmm. 2018, um, mm -hmm. the beginning of 2018. And, um, you know, I had I had been kind of involved in some other stuff before then. Um, there's, there's still a movement ongoing to block the uh, Mountain Valley Pipeline from getting jammed through our backyards in southwest Virginia in the town that I grew up. It was a very big uh, movement and people, you know, they had um, kind of anarchist cats and more environmentalist types basically suspending themselves in trees, doing what they called tree sitting um, for, they had a, one that went up for, I think about 300 days continuously. They kept it manned day and night wow. to prevent people from cutting down these trees, um, wow. you know, at the invitation of different landowners. And um, so, you know, I, I, I've kind of been involved in some kind of um, 
activist spaces or whatever, whatever you want to call that for some time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't really get involved in the, the journalistic aspect until the coup d'etat in Bolivia in 2019. And mm -hmm. I had a, um, a colleague, uh, who wanted, uh, support, wanted help. And, you know, to tell you the truth, um, she actually told me it would be kind of helpful to have a gringo down here because they'll probably be less likely to shoot us. Which is yeah, fair. Okay. I can. Wow. Okay. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, well, if that's going to help in some way. And mm -hmm. so I found out, I spoke with um, some colleagues at the Gray Zone and they were really interested in publishing anything I, I wrote. And I uh, spoke with a woman um, at at Code Pink, Medea Benjamin is kind of a director and she yeah. helped, she wanted to go down as well and she helped pay for my plane ticket. So I was able to kind of, you know, get the ticket paid for. And then when I was there, I was able to pay for my expenses by writing about what was happening. Um, and so I was really proud of that period because I was able to get some of the first English language unambiguously clear coverage of the conflict that um, wasn't equivocating between both sides or violent. That wasn't, uh, you know, I, I came there the day before it was called the Sankata massacre, which took place at the Sankata gas plant when all these mostly indigenous protesters uh, were gunned down from helicopters in many cases wow. Uh, wow. because they were blocking the entrance of trucks to this gas plant and blocking the ability of the trucks to take the gas uh, down to mm -hmm. the wealthy people in La Paz. Um, and oh. so they decided at some moment, um, a couple days prior, this coup-born so-called president, Janine Añez, who's now serving a 10-year prison term. For <laughs> I know, that's, that's hilarious. Happy ending <laughs> to this story. Uh, yeah, ding dong, the witch is dead. Right. <laughs> not dead, but you know, <laughs> politically, yes. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but uh, so she had issued a decree a couple of days prior, essentially granting uh, amnesty to all of the security forces to commit whatever kind of impunity to commit whatever kind of human rights violations they saw necessary as necessary to pacify the country but basically just a, a blank check to shoot kill do whatever you want uh in the name of democracy uh which was i mean it was such a horrifying decree that even mainstream liberal pro-imperialist ngos like amnesty international and human rights watch even they felt compelled to step in and say what well, you know this is totally out of order um yeah. And so, you know, when I was 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 there, I, I, that was that was the day after I arrived. And so I'm up in El Alto, which is kind of the sister city of La Paz. All the wealthy people, and they have for 500 years, they live down in the valley of La Paz. Um, the working people, the indigenous people, they live up in El Alto on the on the top. They come down and do the manual labor. Uh, in the day and go back up at night. People from La Paz go up and manage certain businesses in wealthier parts of town. Then they go back down in the night. Um, so that's kind of the the dynamic you have there. 
you have these these sister cities that are interdependent, but there's a very obvious racial and class divide. And uh, so, in the the day after I arrived, um, there was this massive explosion of state violence, where they're really just gunning people down from helicopters. Right? It's not an exaggeration. It's what was happening. This is on that video. Sounds- and that sounds kind of like what happened with Chile uh, back when, um, when, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, when Pinochet t- took over yeah. from and overthrew Allende. I, yeah, Allende, all yeah, yeah. They've all been operating on the same playbooks ever since, yeah. right? And it goes really mm-hmm. back even before Allende to Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala. You know, they, they've been doing this now in Latin America for 70 years. And... Uh, they're doing it today in Peru, obviously. So yeah. in in Bolivia, you know, the day after I arrived, boom, massacre. I was just, I was blown away by, first of all, this is my first real journalistic assignment. And then I'm just immediately wow. just in the thick of it. Just, you know, what the hell is going on? You know? Yeah. Um, and then I'm blown away by the fact that I'm like the only gringo journalist I can see. And that night at the at the hospital, I'm standing outside speaking to these mothers who's who are just finding out that their kids are never coming back and they're wailing and oh screaming. You know, it's just oh. this kind of they've been just torn apart. And I'm like, where the hell is everybody? Where's a where's AP? You know, where's where's right? where's the New York Times? Where are these so-called star journalists? Yeah. I know they love to like jet into conflict zones and then um, act like they know everything and then leave. So, like, where are they? Where's you know? Uh, and and it was really it just it just showed how little they gave a shit, uh, or they how little they cared uh, yeah. about what was happening. Um, and I I don't even know necessarily that my articles made that much of an impact. I know they got shared pretty widely within Bolivia at the time. And mm-hmm. I know they were shared widely within certain kind of circles in the United States. But mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, we were able to get out coverage and really expose just the brutal dictatorship that that had sprouted up at the yeah. request of the U.S. with the backing of the U.S. and with the complicity mm-hmm. of the mainstream media. That, to me, was what yeah. was what interested me in becoming a journalist and kind of being able to be a, like a real journalist that that yeah. that corrects these I don't even want to call them mistakes these these uh, intentional sacrifices these people who are intentionally sacrificed to the narratives that yeah. people in the United States uh, in this little bubble in this little elite bubble uh, view as expendable it's happening it happened in Bolivia it's happening today in Ukraine it's happening in Peru. Um, and really, I don't think it will stop happening until our country is no longer governed by the financial interests of a tiny, tiny elite. Yeah, I mean, and one of the uh, you mentioned the gray zone earlier. I love how Max Blumenthal uh, typically mm-hmm. calls them stenographers for the U.S. State Department. Mm-hmm. And. You know, that's really what a lot of these uh, corporate, I like to call them corporate media, because that's right. really what they are. They're owned by the corporation. So corporate media right. uh, typically 
it serves at the pleasure of the U.S. State Department as well as the U.S. Department of Defense. And really the Department of Defense and the State Department really work on behalf of the oligarchs of this nation in right. order to push their imperialistic ends, in order to extract resources. And by the way, people are also a resource. So extract right. all resources for their financial gain. And, you know, uh, it just goes to show, you know, like for instance, what was uh, going on in Davos was really just them talking out loud about their political ends that they want to achieve in order really to own everything while everybody else has nothing. And, and da so, Davos is a great example because you really, that kind of, that's the dynamic right there. It's, it's like they don't need to come murder journalists to keep them out of the mainstream media. It's a self-selecting mm -hmm. thing. You only get oh, to course. Davos if you want to be at Davos. You know, yeah. if you're yeah. part of that little set of of people, of mm -hmm. you know, whatever Ivy League blue blood. Like, if you're part of that crew, you know, then you'll want necessarily to enter into these relationships because you share the same fundamental worldview with these people, and you yeah. send your kids to the same schools, and you know, you belong right. to the same the same groups the same social groups it's just yeah. it's it's like a self-selecting thing it's not that they're just like that yeah. they need to like cut down like american mm -hmm. journalists like you know they don't need to go full-on gary webb and just destroy a journalist anymore they just mm -hmm. they just keep those people away from journalism yeah. or they you know they they alienate us or marginalize us in many ways, not the least of which is labeling me like Russia state affiliated media on, I on saw that. social media. And then, you know, all my, all my posts just, it's like posting into a black hole. You know, the, the yeah. algorithms are just so clearly biased against people who have those uh, labels slapped on them, a little scarlet letter. So, yeah. you know, they, they've, they've really turned censorship into, into kind of, this science that's, it's really impressive. You know, Joseph Goebbels would be blown away. He would be really impressed and thrilled with how they've managed to, to, to create a society that's just, it's like we're like fish swimming around and breathing propaganda. And the minutes one of us gets thrown out of water, we don't know what to do. We can't, we can, you know, we can barely survive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's that was my, my my point, but but yeah, uh, mm -hmm. there is no real distinction between the media and the thing and the people that they cover from like a, from a national security standpoint at the very least, because yeah. you, all of your sources, your anonymous little sources that uh, that you use to concoct these broader narratives that the, that they want you to obviously and are feeding you these these mm -hmm. leaks or whatever tips for a reason, you know, they're all mm -hmm. dependent on these relationships that you have with different, yeah. different intelligence community sources as they like to be referred to. Yeah. I mean, well, you're actually going into what Noam Chomsky and Michael Parenti basically talked about. I think Noam Chomsky talked about in his book, Manufacturing Consent, as well as Michael Parenti in his book, Dirty Truths. I have it right here still. But he actually talks about 
how it's not necessarily that they say only talk about this and don't talk about that. It's <clears throat> the people that they hire have the same political or uh, they have the same political and foreign policy ideology as the people who they hire, as the people who are higher ups. So there's no need for them to say, look, I know you really want to cover and this from an anti-imperialist lens, but you're, you can't do that. They don't hire anybody who is anti-imperialist in order to, to say that to. And they don't hire anybody who's going to be, you know, for more for the workers. They're going to hire somebody that's more sympathetic to corporations. This is why people like Don Lemon and Brianna Keelar and Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd, these are and David Muir. These are the reasons why there's some of these people who are in front of you who are making millions of dollars a year in the media. They're chosen. This is why people like Tucker Carlson. Sorry, I, I, I know Jimmy Dore goes on his show quite often, and you know I'm cool with Jimmy, and Jimmy will be here on here on on Thursday. But even people like Tucker Carlson, he was chosen for a reason, and why was he chosen? Is because he's chummy. With the yuppies, <laughs> you know, so to speak. So because of that, then they're chosen because it's like, okay, we'll, we will keep the State Department narrative and, and we'll push that narrative. And then some of them will even criticize the, the proxy war in Ukraine. But once anything comes up about China, they're off to the races, just like the other imperialists. And so a lot of times people really need to uh, look at more anti-imperialist voices because if we really do think about people having their own personal sovereignty in their countries and being able to run their countries how they see fit democratically, then we need to stop looking at these stenographers or take some information that they say with a grain of salt and measure it up to what other people are saying that are not saying the same things so that they can get the truth because unfortunately a lot of people are like I'll, I'll even have friends talking about man oh man putin's trying to take over the world and blah 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 and i'm like who told you that right and they're like well i read it in in in, in the news which news outlet hey <laughs> you know you, so. you don't think the news would lie to you now do you <laughs> Remember the Iraq War. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, we're not that much old. I mean, I'm, I'm probably a few years older than you. I'm not sure exactly sure. I'm about but, to turn thirty. Huh? I'm about a, I'm about a couple weeks away from thirty. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank yes, you. I am a couple years from forty. All but, right. Um, but the thing is that I, I always say, remember the Iraq War. And right. I, I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, there was a show by the main name of a man called Phil Do called what the hell Phil named Donahue. Phil Don Phil Donahue, yeah. And he was kicked off of MSNBC because he was going against the Iraq War, right? And well, that's, MSNBC that's that's the, sorry, the utter irony here, right? Like MSNBC mm -hmm. is supposed to be left. But you can't go on MSNBC with your, your anti-war criticism. You have to go on Fox News. No. You have to go on Tucker Carlson if you want to criticize war, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything's upside down from how we were kind of taught to believe it or like how I genuinely thought you think it was at some point in time. 
everything's yeah. just all backwards. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and you were talking about all. I mean, all these like establishment. I mean, Anderson Cooper is really like he's like the the perfect distillation of this because he's like basically would have been a CIA agent anyway if he wasn't on the news. Like his job probably wouldn't be that dissimilar from what it actually is. Van yeah. Jones is interesting because he actually had like a, a Maoist period, and then like, but like this is really? the way you can be, you can like you can go establishment. We have to renounce your left wing roots. You know, and you have oh to, gosh. you know, and that's that was Van Jones's like route to MSNB or you know mainstream media success. Um, so, you know, I don't know the, the Tucker Carlson aspect to what to me is just wild because like on the one hand, yes, he says incredibly racist stuff. He says totally wild shit about China that's just wrong. Um, yeah, and like. The, you know, the, the border situation is just like, uh, man, I just have some wildly different conclusions with you on this. But on the one aspect, it's like, to me right now, like the main existential threat to humanity is like the US and the UK pushing us to a hot war with Russia. And like, you know, there are certainly some aspects of, 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 the, of the factions that are pushing out against this. That view, that view the U.S. Russia proxy war as a distraction from yeah. uh, from the ultimate fight with China, but uh, you know, for and and I'm, and I'm not, I can't necessarily say that that is exactly the motivations there, but to me, it's almost like, well, shit, like I'll take whatever <laughs> I can get, you know. I just if you want to stay, like stop fighting a proxy war with Russia, great. You know, I will exit stage left when you get to the point about because we need to, like, kill all the Chinese, whatever. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> that's uh, that to me, it's like, I, I, just because I genuinely view, like, this, this, this is a proxy war that the West could hypothetically win in some conceivable scenario. I don't think that's going to happen. But it is much more conceivable to me that they win a proxy war with Russia than they win a proxy war with China because they're just so economically dependent on it in yeah. a way that, you know. So, I mean, for me, it's on some level, I just like, I, I don't, you know. But obviously, this is not to excuse any of, of the racism or the, the push for war with China. It's just kind of like... You know, Jimmy Dore would not have had the ch any a chance to take that unequivocally anti-war with Russia and anti-war with China message anywhere on mainstream media except on that one show. You know, make of that yeah. what you will. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that was basically that's the one crack in the mainstream media that Jimmy could do that in, and so he was able to take the shot, which I do give Jimmy credit for. And the thing is, is that unfortunately you have some that are great on racial issues, but then, then when it comes to foreign policy, then that's when they fall off. Or then you'll have some that are horrible on, on racial issues, but then they're, you know, okay on foreign policy issues, depending on whether or not <laughs> the place where they're fighting is you know abundant in melanin or mm -hmm. you know or a little less abundant in melanin so it's just interesting how 
you know, they, they kind of gauge that, but they still stay within the same reign of being for corporations. Cause I mean, they all are run by corporations, which, you know, it, it just, you know, you, you have to take what you can get when you can get it. So, but you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing that you were talking about, especially regarding the corporate media, man. I, I yeah. You know, it is a little like, depressing, but, uh, sorry, you know, it, it's where, it's where we are. It's, um, mm -hmm. I try to be, I try to be realistic, you know, I don't want to be yeah. looking at the world through those tinted glasses the whole time. I mean, strategically we have to work with the world as it is right not as we want it to be but um yeah and, and you know and this is this is some of the, the questions that are popping up now with like the rage against the war machine you know we're already having to deal with these exact kind of mm -hmm. of questions and conversations about who yeah uh, you know what 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 are the lines that we can or can't cross fundamentally yeah. um mm -hmm. and you know, I don't think anybody's been a hundred percent happy with how everything has been handled, but mm -hmm. at least somebody's doing something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I understand. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's been a year. I haven't seen any any real massive anti-war mobilization anywhere uh, in the United yeah. States, really. So, mm -hmm. just let's let's make something happen. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's kind of my yeah. attitude about it, and yeah. um, and well, I, I mean, I, yeah. I'm just, I'm just happy something's happening. I think it's just, it's, it's such a horrifying situation. Um, yeah. And this is what I, you know, I, I plan to speak about is just having been to the Donbass. Yeah, spent mm -hmm. uh, a little over a month in in Russia and in yeah. newly liberated areas of what are now known as the Donetsk People's Republic, Lugansk People's Republic. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's industrial scale slaughter. It's insane. It's horrifying. Wow. People there don't want to be doing that. You know, it's it's really just this. It's this very surreal attitude that you get when you're talking to soldiers. Nobody's out there like like rah rah like let's go murder ukrainians like it's all just this very everyone feels kind of resigned to have to do it like they don't like their hearts not necessarily fully in it but you know obviously it's it's uh they'll tell you like look it's it's if it's us or them it's gonna be us like i'm gonna protect my family and i feel bad that that guy over there is is being conscripted uh he probably doesn't even want to be there um but the reality is that the Ukrainian regime is just a straight up industrial death machine at this point. It's just like mm. a, a giant machine feeding endless amounts of Ukrainian boys and old men even now. Uh, you know, they're, mm. they're lowering the, the age of conscription down to 17 and even now even down to 16. Um, so they're wow. just taking boys and old men and jamming them on the front lines of Bakhmut. Why? You know, no one, no one there can tell you. It's even filtering out in mainstream media now. I've seen pieces in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal where they're just they're interviewing yeah. Ukrainian uh, soldiers and officers in Bakhmut. None of them can explain why they're continuing to hold this position. It makes no strategic sense from their perspective. Yeah.
Um, but it's it's about uh, it's about PR. It's about international press relations. It's about Zelensky not wanting to concede a point on on the the little chessboard, and that's the reason that thousands, hundreds, even thousands of people are, are being killed every single day in what's being called mm-hmm. the Bakhmut meat grinder. And it's not oh, Russians. Man. That's the thing. It's not Russians that are dying in these quantities. Um, and 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 the Russians that are dying, like, hate to break it to you, like, most of them that are taking the heaviest uh, uh, casualties are Wagner, which means a lot of them are there more or less by choice. You know, either they came from, you know, they got promised early release on some kind of prison sentence, you know, however you feel about that, um, that was the decision they decided to go, it seems. And, you know, the guys there, like, they're, they're hardened dudes. They've been in prison. Like, they may, many of them might not necessarily be as opposed to me- meeting out some violence. And they're coming up against guys that are just getting kidnapped off the street and thrown into trenches. Of course they're winning. Oh my God. Of course they're winning. It's an insane human tragedy, and it it shouldn't be playing out. But it's but it is playing out because over and over and over again, the Western powers, the mainly the United mm-hmm. States and the UK, have repeatedly yeah. refused to allow for peace to happen. They sabotaged peace. They sabotaged peace. We know that from Nasser yeah. from the former Israeli Prime Minister, arguably as yeah. as. Yeah, so Western of a source as you can get, but one who is trusted by the Russians relatively as well to serve as some kind of an intermediary. Uh, he was negotiating mm-hmm. peace. He was negotiating a peace accord, a peace deal. And the United States yeah. stepped in and stopped it. The UK yeah. stepped in and stopped yeah. it. And we all, you know, this is yeah. public knowledge now. Uh, you know, yeah. I, Russians, yeah. even the ones right on the border who have suffered these casualties they all want for things to stop uh they just don't want to have to they don't want for things to stop in such a way that they continue to be subjected to the same artillery shelling that they've been subjected to for nine years that i was there for just a few weeks that i was subjected to um you know so so to me sorry go ahead well no i was just gonna corroborate what you said because it's been reported that Boris Johnson and Joe Biden both uh, basically did not care about peace talks at all. They did not want to do peace talks, even though Vladimir Putin was actually game for peace talks. But they said that they didn't want to do it. Really, and this is, and here's how I look at it. And, And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But from what this looks like is the United States is having this war with Russia. They just want to use Ukrainian lives instead of American lives so that it won't have an uptick in anti-war movements here in the country because it's not our lives being lost. So therefore, if it's no skin off our back, then it's okay. That's what it feels like to me because they, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's like, it's like having a bully going up against another kid, and instead of fighting the other kid, they force the other the other smaller kid in front of him and push him and shove him and say, fight him for me. Mm-hmm. 
That's what it feels like. Now, am I in the ballpark? I think you're right on the money. That's more or less how how I would describe it. And there's actually, uh, let's see if I can pull up this phrase. Uh, oh, there's there was a, a congressman. I'm blanking on it, um, but he he said we need to fight Russia over there so we don't fight them over here, right? Um, I'm I'm forgetting exactly who this is, but one of the more notorious kind of warmongers. I think he's a, a Democrat. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but um, he he kind of revealed this strategy a few years back. But the idea, you know, really is 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 yeah, we'll we'll have this wonderful stand-in for United States interests in the form of Western Ukraine. Um, we'll, and this is why they pulled off the 2014 Maidan coup. Um, yeah. They replaced they... with Yushchenko. Yeah. They Yatsenyuk uh, 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 um, first, but uh, they basically turned Ukraine from a relatively neutral, you know, kind of neither Russian nor European entity um, that after months and months of back and forth, years even, um, between between going with a a major trade agreement with the European Union or Mm -hmm. going with a major trade agreement with the Russian Federation, ultimately Mm -hmm. vacillated in the direction of the Russian Federation so obviously decision was made by people like Victoria Newland. Okay, well, it's time for him to go. Um, and they, as they always do, um, immediately latched on to the protest movement, um, a protest movement that ultimately, even when it toppled the government, um, didn't have more than 50-50 support. You know, the country was, was pretty evenly split at the time of, of the yeah. coup. Um, and, uh, they basically turned it from what was a less of a coherent state and more of, you know, more more of a bridge state, I guess, in international relations terms, more of, of, um, you know, it was, it was, it was really an experiment in Eastern Western coexistence, peaceful coexistence. Um, you, and you, and you can look this up when you, when you go back and look at like the voting tendencies, like um, I guess the 2010 elections, I think are pretty revealing. You can see just in in wet in the further westernmost parts of Ukraine, you see extraordinary 90 percent plus voting in favor of the pro European Union candidate. Um, in the far east. You see, ninety percent in favor of the neutral candidate or the, you know, s- supposedly pro-Russian candidate, um, mm-hmm. and this is a, a dynamic that, you know, it's it's really it's like a rainbow when you when you look over a map. It's it's just it transitions very naturally looking even from people looking west to the people looking east. It's not a coherent national entity. Those people at at some point could have hypothetically shared values maybe they never really did the galicians have always hung on to a very strong ukrainian nationalism a very step on bandera type nationalism a very 
let's say, Nazi-friendly Ukrainian nationalism. The people in the East yeah. have never felt that much Ukrainian nationalism to begin with. Uh, and and when they did, I mean, I mean, to really, it's important to, under, to understand what Ukrainian nationalism is. You have to understand the groups behind it, the organization yeah. of Ukrainian nationalists, the people like Stepan Bandera, and then <clears throat> these uh, divisions within these groups, uh, the uh, the split among the organization of Ukrainian nationalists, and then how these kind of divisions were were manipulated and guided by by the CIA and by the MI6. Um, sometimes, generally, broadly in the same direction. Sometimes with minor discrepancies. Um, I think. <coughs> I think the the Brits were a little bit more pro Bandera than the U.S., um, but uh, neither here nor there really. the 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 yeah. important point here is that Ukrainian nationalism as a phenomenon has basically been guided, it was midwifed onto, hoisted onto the Ukrainian population, um, first by first by people like Stefan Bandera notorious killer whose forces oversaw the liquidation of over 100,000 Jews and Poles and um, Russians, Soviets. And uh, and then the way that this phenomenon was, was egged on and guided and incubated within the West, within different sort of diaspora groups. The same way, you know, they have something like the World Uyghur Congress to do to create this this weaponized diaspora population against China, they had Ukrainian nationalist groups propped up all over the U.S. and especially in Canada, which is really kind of a hotbed for this sort of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But those are the people that are guiding the 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 path of, of nationalism in Ukraine, right? This phenomenon. It's not an organic phenomenon. It's not just oh, a group of people that's happy to be from their country that likes certain foods, speaks a common language, whatever. You know, this is a very inorganically positioned thing. The the imposition of Ukrainian language over the past 10 years hasn't, that's not a natural phenomenon. It's a very specific attempt to culturally separate people in Ukraine from Russia and to create this new identity that they could subsequently use to get people to wrap them up in this flag and then you know, send them on the battlefield, wrap them back up in that same flag and bury them six feet deep. Wow. I don't know, for some reason, when you were explaining that, I was getting in my mind visuals of people who embrace the Confederate army here in the United States. Hmm. And it's like, okay, so you're embracing the losers. You're embracing the people who wanted to keep people enslaved. And so that's the side that you're on. And it, but it's a it's, very powerful it, it, identity that you can give to people yeah. who have no no jobs, no like no other development. You're not giving them anything good. You're not gonna give them real you're not gonna give them as much as Russians would, right? Yeah. So you don't you know you you're not gonna offer them anything material. What you can offer them is like someone to hate, you know, some scapegoat yeah. for all your problems and some identity to wrap yourself up in and 
you know, and give your otherwise very terrible life some sense of meaning. Well, I mean, that's that. It's crazy how you know the Ukrainian nationalism and white nationalism here in the United States really. If they're not siblings, they're definitely cousins because, I mean, that's basically how the white nationalism is fostered here in the United States. It's basically, okay, these people are your enemy, and this is why your life is so terrible. So hate them, and your life will be better. And they become pawns to a a, a nasty game, really, by oligarchs here in the United States and oligarchs abroad and looking at the history of the united states especially with the onset of operation paperclip how they brought in nazi scientists into this country and it's no wonder that this continues to foster and how the united states seems to have a very buddy and cozy relationship with ukrainian nationalists who face it they don't like anybody who is darker than you. So it's just crazy how they are really one and the same. And if uh, that's one of the reasons why Yakonovich was ousted because he was sort of in the middle, you know, a little bit more progressive. And so that means if things would have gotten a little bit better for the workers, the Ukrainian workers, then it's like, why do I have to hate these people for? My life is actually pretty decent. And so that's what it feels like to me, you know. Uh, you know, that's how a, a, a lot of the white supremacy is brought on. It's because they are, we're constantly being, well, a lot of people are constantly being told by the, the oligarchs that, oh, these are the people you should hate because that's why your life is so bad without them actually looking at the oligarchs and the people who like to consider themselves elite that they're the ones who are actually making the lives worse for all these workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's it's a part of the world that's, when you're talking about Galicia, it's, it's really renowned for its hatred, yeah. its racial hatred. Like the, yeah. the Lavad pogroms are really one of the only pogrom that we have uh, uh, much documentation of Mm-hmm. And it's because it was documented by the Nazis because they were mm-hmm. they were basically um, blown away by how aggressive and excited they were to just beat mm-hmm. Jews in the streets. And so this was something yeah. that they, on some on some occasions, uh, reportedly even tried to kind of push down, like, "Hey, like, let's not go too far here." Um, and and when you when you talk about like the the concentration camp guards, the the worst some of the worst were were going to be coming from the Baltic states, um, like the collaborators, and then the Ukrainians um, called the Traniki men. And then you know there's this very famous case of a guy accused of being who lived in the United States was accused of being uh, this notoriously just vicious, uh, despicable concentration camp guard named Ivan the Terrible. And that was a long legal saga that played out for decades, really. Uh, was was that man, uh, John Damianyuk, I think was his name, was was he the camp guard or not? Was it a case of mistaken identity? Um, mm-hmm. But but all of this to say that um, we're talking about a, a region in the world that really um, 
the 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 racial animosity just can't necessarily be understated historically that you're talking about um and so this was fertile ground for uh, mm -hmm. groups like the azov battalion the right sector the adar battalion um because they're they're pulling from a, a, a group of people known for, for racial hatred yeah. um and um and who welcomed the Nazis largely as liberators during World War II, who wow. saw them as freeing them from the Jewish menace. And, um, mm. So, you know, this is, this is who you hear when you hear like horror stories about, oh, the, the, the Stalin treated the Ukrainians so horribly. It's like, th these are the people who are telling that story. The people who, like even the Nazis were like Jesus Christ. These guys really hate Jews and Russians, you know. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, so, so just something to keep in mind when you hear stories about you know Stalin's yeah. terror famine, uh, Holodomor, uh, things like this. You know these kind of largely invented historical, supposedly historical phenomenon that are now kind of taught as fact, but are basically largely re the result of either Nazi propaganda or Nazi collaborator propaganda. Um, now they get kind of swallowed up and accepted as, as fact by people who um, don't know any better because, you know, it's all, mm -hmm. it's, this is a, this isn't a bigger question, I guess. This is like Wikipedia and stuff and who, yeah. who, who are the new yeah. gatekeepers now? Um, you know, who, yeah. who is marking sources as deprecated? Who thinks the gray zone is a deprecated source and can't be listed on Wikipedia, but voice of America, which was literally founded by the CIA is good to go. Mm -hmm. You know, Radio Free Asia, yeah. literally a CIA yeah. project. Like that's totally acceptable. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's like, you know, communism killed a hundred gazillion people, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, they say they killed a hundred million people. What they don't tell you, that number, it comes from Robert Conquest's little black book, little black book of communism. They cite, mm -hmm the Nazis killed by Soviets as victims of communism. <laughs> you know, oh, sorry. You know, I think we should, yeah, think we should you know, at that, if, if this is like the standards, like, shoot, we need some more victims of communism. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Like, why? Like, and, and, and this just goes to show, like, and people don't side-eye their government for Operation Paperclip is like, mm -hmm. especially especially people who will go, America's the greatest country in the world. And I'm like, have you read some of these documents that the CIA put out? Right. Or that they, that they did? Have you seen the amount of coups and public dictatorships that the United States has installed? You want to talk about the United States being the greatest country in the world? If we're the greatest country in the world and we're trying to give freedom to everybody, then why do we all have them held at gunpoint by having over 700 military bases around the world? Is that freedom? <laughs> Makes you think. Yeah. Makes you think, like, don't it? <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. It's, 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 it's about critical thinking. And I think one of the things is I think we're being brainwashed out of critical thinking. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest uh, the one of the biggest successes of U.S. propaganda that we have, because and a lot of times people will go like, for instance, 
under your name and under uh, Fiorella Isabel's name, it says Russian state affiliated media. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You guys need to put in your mind that when you look at people like Wolf Blitzer and when you look at, well, <laughs> or just any when, of the when, BBC, when, when, yeah. any of the BBC presenters, are they not yeah. British state affiliated media? Is not, is a yeah. broadcaster not US state affiliated media? Like, yeah. That's a public broadcaster. It gets money from the government. I mean, it, if if you're, you know, pushing, you know, you know, State Department narrative, then yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, and people need to realize that who owns the government? Like, if you ask somebody who owns the government, they'll say, "Well, yeah, the corporations own the government." Yeah, well, who owns the media? And then they're like, "Oh." You know, and it's like, you know, CNN brought to you by Northrop Grumman or CNN brought to you right. by Pfizer. And it's like, yep. it's brought to you by the corporations. They're literally right. telling you in your face that it's brought to you by the oligarchs. So right. why in the world would you trust what they say and trust what the, you know, with, with people? Oh, my God. Um and it's a global like phenomenon. Like Secretary Blinken says. Yeah, it's a global phenomenon. It's it was it was a huge problem. It's a huge problem now in Peru, that like all of the media is owned by just these little handful of media conglomerates, these yeah. just billion dollar holding companies that don't do anything. It's just like a little pot for a bunch of rich people's money, and they just yeah. buy up all the news outlets and then they poison the news. And they poison people's minds to the point where it's 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 a farce. It's farcical. It's like reading what what Peruvian media says about what's happening in the streets outside them. It's like reading what American media says about what's happening in Ukraine. It's just it's yeah. everything is a projection. It's a reversal of the truth. It's absolutely nuts. And and the thing about like you know that that I'm grateful to. Um, to have been able to do uh, about like traveling so much mm -hmm. is that the thing about that that I'm so grateful for, I should say, is that it lets me get a gauge of what just normal people think in a different, different yes. countries. And just, yeah, I mean, you just, you get to see like outside of the United States and Western Europe, people don't give yeah. a shit about what's happening in Ukraine. They really don't like wow. just, they just, they just don't, it's like, that's not our problem. Like, why would, you know, that's like, that's like a European fight, you know? Like, that's, yeah, it's for, like, that's for them to figure out. And yeah, it's like, not, not my monkey, not my circus. Exactly. And like, you know, and, and, you know, to me, it's like, I can't, I can't even imagine coming and talking to them as an American and trying to like explain to them, well, you know, if Putin does this, then something's going to happen there. They brought back the domino theory. I don't know if you guys know about the domino theory, you know, from the Cold War, where like we have to we have to overthrow Vietnam because if Vietnam doesn't, you know, well, Vietnam goes and it was, it was all about if one country turns communist and the next one does. Right. So this idea that like Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, whatever, we're all uh, mm -hmm. going communist. It was like, oh, well, there goes Thailand, you know. Um, and the, you know, they, they brought this out in a lot about Nicaragua, if Nicaragua, if we let Nicaragua remain socialist, oh, well then next stop, 
Honduras, you know, next stop Guatemala, next stop Mexico. Mm -hmm. Like, then we've got mm -hmm. socialism right on our borders. What are we going to do? It's the same bullshit theory that theory. Yeah. It's not a real theory. It's just, it's just like warmongering wrapped up in a veneer of academic nonsense. And, yeah. and it's made, it's like totally repopularized now. It's the whole thing, same thing as all the way back. This was widely discredited for decades. Everyone thought this was such oh. a joke now, but now it's, it's back and it's in full swing. And it's, oh, if we don't stop the Russians at Ukraine, they're gonna march into Poland and I'm marching to Latvia, I'm gonna march into Lithuania. Next thing you know, they're in the streets of Paris. And this is, and you know, these are all these, they always try to compare them to Hitler as if like, it's just like the one, you know, this is now a perfect like historical analogy, um, but it's total nonsense. You know, like Russia doesn't have, first of all, like the military power or desire to like occupy half of Western Europe. Can you imagine what a yeah. massive I mean, sink on that on their resources that would be? Like they wouldn't be able to last a year just yeah. like trying to, you know, occupy 10 million, 15 million people that are all being helped out by the, you know, I'm sure by the US yeah. and like they just wouldn't be able to do it. It wouldn't, it's yeah. not feasible. And everyone yeah. knows that, you know, anyone who's telling you otherwise, they do know that. They've just yeah. chosen to like go out and lie for money because that's, you know, it's either they view that as morally acceptable given the circumstances or they just don't care. And like, that's how you end up on the news. You're either like a yeah. psychopath or you're just dumb as bricks. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just stupid because I mean, think about it. Look at Russia as a, as a landmass, right? Russia has so many different natural resources and it's so rich with resources it doesn't really even have a reason to go outside of that. Yeah, like what, uh, what, that what, would, what would Russia stand to gain by like invading like the Alps, you know, trying to like, like, <laughs> it's like, like stupid. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and, and speaking of just the dumb, you said projection and I was just like, thank you. I'm going to show you this. You probably saw it. It came out yesterday evening. Uh, this was a quote by Senator, uh, not Senator, I mean, uh, Secretary Anthony Blinken. And he spoke from the Department of State. He said, governments that violate human rights are almost always the same ones that flout other key parts of that order, such as invading, coercing, and threatening other countries or breaking trade rules end quote and it's finished says the u.s will continue to take a stand for human rights for all well, tell me why this is bullshit <laughs> um i mean it's just everything that man says is total nonsense i i just yeah. and he doesn't even seem like he believes it like him and ned price blinken and ned price they don't really seem to even be able to believe it when they say it, you know? It's like, <laughs> I know, I know. They kind of mumble it out and then they like look at the ground a little bit and it's just like, because they have to know that, you know, it's gonna get at least like a little chuckle from the audience. Like, oh, <laughs> that's a classic. He told, he, you know, oh, he said the one about human rights. Oh, that's a good one, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, I mean, I don't really even know what to say. It's just, 
how many the invading, coercing, threatening other countries or breaking trade rules. What did what did Mike Pompeo said? We lied, we cheated, we stole. We had yeah. whole training classes. He said it reminds you of the glory of the American experiment. That was such a good that was such a good line from Mike Pompeo. He's he was at the the West Point like giving um some kind of speech to cadets there. And he says, well, you know, what's the training motto here at at the academy it says i will not lie i will not steal i will not cheat well i was the director of the cia we lied we cheated we stole we had whole training courses it reminds you of the glory of the american experiment like the glory being that we publicly pretend to be one thing and then privately very clearly are not and like that's that's glorious i guess to be extremely two-faced to be just like totally hypocritical and have two double standards like that's that's glorious i guess i don't know mike mike pompeo was always like just a little too dumb for the role <laughs> he just said stuff like that when you're not like you're not supposed to say that you're not supposed to like take as much glee in feeling that way you know the the middle management guys like they can all feel that way but like the guys at the top are supposed to have the self-awareness to say like, oh, okay, we all, we have to pretend that we don't do what we do. Uh, he didn't have it. And um, now I'm hearing he's apparently running for president, which would- Oh my, oh no, Lord. <sighs> I mean, I don't think he has a chance in hell of winning, you know, but he would just be on TV, I guess, selling books or whatever. But it was Probably. just, you know, can you imagine him like making a public comeback? He'd probably be more on, on MSNBC than he would be on Fox. You know, he'd probably have an easier time getting booked. It's, he'd, he'd be like Bolton, where like he could just make this CNN pivot, just seamlessly become one of the neocons that they've, the anti-Trump neocons, you know? Uh -huh. That's like half of their programming now anyway. Well, I mean, looking at, um, looking at him and Bolton, it'd be, you know, the Eggman and the Walrus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, cuckoo, cuckoo. You know, of course they would be on on CNN. I'm sorry, MSNBC because MSNBC loves to have people from the CIA. You know, you know, be as their correspondents. You know, on there. So it tells you a lot more about you know MSNBC than it does about other outlets, which is just crazy. I mean, Pompeo and God, I, I already, I'm, I'm already forgetting his name. Actually, he, his name should be forgetting, forgetful, but Bolton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably be on MSNBC. Watch. Yeah. I, uh, Pompeo is so wild. I mean, I assume that's why he, like, he very deliberately lost a bunch of weight. Um, and it's, it's wild now because he, like, looks like he's wearing his dad's suit all the time. It's just like, not a, it's just not normal. <laughs> And I, and I, like, I feel a little bit bad because I can't help but take credit because at one point I made kind of a viral tweet where I noticed that he had airbrushed out, like, having several chins from his official State Department portrait. And I felt like a little bit, like, I, I can't help but feel like maybe that was why, that was the turning point or, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. But no. it didn't really work out for him. Like, he needs to go back. He just doesn't look, it looks weird. He looks weird what? now. I don't. 
okay, Wyatt. We can we can clown on war criminals because hey, that's practice. I'm gonna clown on war criminals. I, I won't clown on average regular people. This is us punching up. But <laughs> my thing is with oh my god, with this guy, you would think with all the money that he makes, he would take his suits to a tailor. Yeah. <laughs> With all the war crimes that you made money off of, yeah. you think that you would go to a tailor and get something a little bit more fit? Like this is not even tailored, man. Of course, shit. You know? And you're like, oh well, you know, we we lied, we cheat, we stole. Maybe steal some fashion tips so that you can actually look a little bit better. Stop Pompeo. stealing off the rack. Stop stealing off the rack, Mike. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, on, on this channel, we will clown on war criminals. I'll clown on them all day. I, yes, I will insult their looks. Yes, I will insult the way they are because guess what? They kill millions. So guess what? The least I can do is insult their looks. I won't oh, do that man. to average people, though, because I don't yeah, believe in the average regular people. He's just, he's like not a, he's not a human, really. You know, I feel like you kind of forfeit <laughs> humanity at that point. Like, you just become yeah. like a bag of, like State Department slogans or whatever, just like military industrial complex jingles, like just mm -hmm. that's all that that's all that's really going around in that head, I think. Whatever. Honestly, I feel a little bit bad for Pompeo because he's just like so he's like one of the more uh like laughable characters in that whole milieu. <laughs> like he was just he could he was just we was not good at it, you know, he was not good. He's not going to be making a repeat appearance, I don't think. And um, and he had his shot, and it just his best was not good enough. And now he's yeah. like just selling books, like any other schmuck, trying to you know <laughs> make make a few bucks off of his yeah hopefully forever former career. But um, yeah, I mean on the one hand, it was it was actually I think for the rest of the world is good to see just like the mask off moment, the mask off Pompeo. Just like yeah. this is this is the man behind the machine, behind mm -hmm. the curtain. I mean, the man running yeah. the machine. Like mm -hmm. it's this guy, really. Like, yeah. Uh, I think having having people like that in positions of power for over just like truly evil institutions like the CIA, like in some cases can be beneficial when it's just so over the top that everyone else is like, wow, yeah, we need to like make sure that's not who's running the world yeah i mean it's it's, it's a clownish evilness you right. know it, you know he, he he's he's the the sidekick to lex luther and the christopher reeves supermans <laughs> whatever you say mr luthor you know that's who he <laughs> is you know and he looks at the you know, who's really running the world he's like oh okay mr luthor what are you what are you gonna do now oh you're gonna take over this part of the world okay mr. <laughs> luthor, i got it it's like <laughs> you know that's what i think about mike pompeo it's just like come on this was running this was running the cia are you right. kidding me Right. You know, I thought somebody's gonna be more devilishly evil. I thought it was gonna be like a, a Thanos or somebody like that. <laughs> and, and instead, what did we get? We, you know, we, we got a, we got a, not even a Loki. Even Loki was better. Than, <laughs> was more. He was, he, was, he was at least like had some self awareness and some like yeah. snark. 
he could tell like a funny line. Like Mike yeah. Pompeo, that man like can't even tell a joke. Like he's not like a you know what I'm saying? Like he's not a clever man. It's doesn't. hard to tell the joke when you are the joke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he would, yeah, he'd get like lost halfway through and have to start over. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, look. <laughs> um, one of the things that I wanted to um, ask you as well, because I want to make sure I get to this question, is. What is one story that you covered that had the biggest impact on you both professionally and personally? Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the probably the Bolivia in terms of just helping, mm-hmm. helping me really get, get on my feet um, mm-hmm. and introducing me to this kind of world um that was that was a very important story for me to cover i felt like um and then this recent trip to donetsk and to the donbass mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's just i've never i've never been anywhere like that i've never seen anything like that mm-hmm. up close just the the level of destruction and devastation the level of mm-hmm. need um the level of like PTSD everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, um, people that have just been, it's, it's, it's like almost going to a different planet or something, you know? Um, and it's even like the difference between the front line and Moscow is massive. Moscow is just, it's like, everything's normal there. You know, it's like a, yeah. It's like any other kind of European city almost, except I couldn't use my debit card. I had to get a Mer card. So to be able to, you know, I had to um, to be able to spend money there. I had to use like cryptocurrency mm-hmm. to um, wow. to get loaded onto a Mer card. And, and um, that's, you know, otherwise the sanctions make it impossible to, to buy mm-hmm. anything, it makes it impossible for them to, to function. But, you know, outside of that, yeah. it's just like you can go to, I went to probably the most luxurious shopping mall I've ever been. And, wow. You know, it's like six stories high. It's packed to the gills. Mm-hmm. They're not sold out of anything. You know, wow. Everywhere you go, it's just like, yeah, this is a functioning, advanced society. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it. It reminded me a lot of the U.S. in many ways, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I just kept thinking like it's just such a shame that Americans can't come here, that these people can't come to America, that we can't mm-hmm. just have a normal relationship. Um, yeah, can't have normal relations people to people because yeah. you know, and people would just be would be blown away by. <laughs> On some level, the fact that I don't hate them is because, like, they don't hate the West. They don't hate Americans, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're just kind of confused. Like, why do we hate them so much? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> and this was just this was the sentiment I encountered all the time. It was people would try to ask me, like, like what is what is it that they like were doing wrong? Like, what do they want from us? Like, uh, it was just kind of a genuine bewilderment. And yeah, yeah, and that's you know, it kind of blew me away. 
beyond that, I mean, the, if you know, I have some of these videos here on my social media too. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there's that sounds like one of them. There's another one where I, I spoke to like an elderly grandma, this babushka, who just had her apartment totally destroyed by a high Mars missile. And oh my gosh. She was, you know, basically she was injured and walking around with a makeshift cane and she wasn't able to get um, assistance from the like local kind of Russian speaking volunteers um, mm -hmm. because all of her documents had been blown, blown apart in this explosion. Oh. And wow. so we just kind of ended up um, documenting, like after we stopped interviewing her and just said, okay, we're gonna just like go try to find help for this woman. Um, and wow. you know, that was just, man, it was really one of the most emotionally fucking moving, devastating experiences of my life. Just like talking to that woman, realizing the extent of her devastation. She's got kids, she can't get in touch with them because there's no cell phone service. Um, oh. So she just looks up at their pictures every night on the wall and says, you know, just ask them to look down and see what her life has become. She told yeah. me, you know, um, she couldn't understand why Americans would do this. She said, we must be beasts and fascists. Uh, we must be, wow. uh, we must have no heart to be able to, to, to do this to someone like her. And, you know, I wanted to disagree, but it's like, until, I think until more of us stand up and, and say, you know, enough is enough. We're gonna, we're not sending any more tanks or bombs or missiles to go blow up babushkas. Um, you know, I don't think I really can tell her otherwise. It's, you know, as yeah. sad as that sounds. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, yeah, that was definitely one of the most moving experiences of my life. Uh, I felt kind of like broken from it emotionally. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's kind of like you feel helpless, you know what I mean? And right. it's like you're, you're trying to report on what's going on in your government. And it's just it's like I'm just trying to do what I can to tell the truth to, to my people. But it's, you know, it's just like we we have to do something. And it's just like it's kind of interesting because I was speaking to a friend of mine. He's a communist. And we were actually we had a slight disagreement. Mm -hmm. And our disagreement was, was the United States government, for the most part, proto-fascist fascist, or absolutely fascist? Mm -hmm. And I was on the side of saying absolutely fascist, and he was saying proto-fascist. But either way, it's still bad. Right. So it, it, we were just, you know, saying like, you know, well, I think we're headed that way. I'm like, nah, we're there. We've been there for quite a while. And he said... You probably can make an argument and I'll probably move on that position, you know, and mm. that's how bad it is. And people don't realize it. Look here. Like, I'm in Florida. Yes. Feel sorry for me. I'm in Florida. And I don't feel sorry for you. You should feel sorry for me. I'm in D.C. Oh, let's feel sorry for each other. Um, <laughs> let's trade. How about that? Yeah. I mean, look. Literally, we have a governor here that is anti-free speech, that is making it so that yeah. African American studies cannot be right. taught here in this in here. 
Right. Uh, also, basically, you know, anything having to do with LGBTQ issues cannot be even spoken of whatsoever. And then on top of it, he also made it much more difficult for people to actually protest and express their First Amendment rights. So when it comes to different elements in this government and, and it's becoming more widely accepted, well, yeah. I mean, what difference is it between this and Germany and, you know, the early 40s? It's not that much of a difference. Yeah, well, I mean, they kind of, yeah. The thing is, it's almost like they don't even need to do all that. You know what I mean? It's like the, just the direction of, 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 of everything. Like, we don't have, we don't have, like, mass anti-war demonstrations anymore. Hopefully we will here in a couple of weeks, but we're, we've been at the point of just like almost dormancy on that, on that level. Um, you know, I mean, you used to think about like when, when the U S was shipping weapons to, to the Contras in Nicaragua, people would go lay down on the train tracks and like literally stop the trains from moving with their bodies. You know, people like lost their legs doing that. Um, and like, People, people really, you know, <laughs> they really walk the walk, and uh, and we've kind of lost that. It's been made like passe or just corny to really mm -hmm. believe in something. Um, but we need to, we need to get that back somehow. Um, you know, we need to, we need to believe in like it's time to end the war machine on a real, on a real level. Um, and however that may look, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like even, even before DeSantis passed this bill cracking down on protests, it's not like people were doing stuff like that any, anyway, you know, it's not like yeah. people were down there like protesting for, to stop the blockade on Cuba all over the place. Um, or, you know, I, I guess there were, there were pretty serious BLM protests that, was kind of the the if I recall this correctly, that was kind of the genesis point of some of this stuff. And then I saw it get weaponized against against Cuban like like anti Cuban government protesters later, which I thought was kind of ironic. Um mm -hmm. uh like oh the shoes on the other foot I guess like now these guys can't block interstates, I guess. So they, yeah. <laughs> there's some <laughs> Uh, some silver lining on all this, but uh, mm -hmm. can you imagine having your having to stop for just like a parade of gusanas crying yeah. about crying about oh, Fidel? No, it is it is a pretty bad situation, I'm sure, in Florida in terms of, of where things are headed, um, and. I mean, Florida's always been kind of a bastion of, of right-wing politics, especially mm -hmm. when you get further south. Um, and certain, I don't know, you know better than I do, but um, yeah. it's it's definitely ground zero in the kind of the culture wars. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't know. I like Florida in terms of just like a place to live. I was thinking mm -hmm. about moving down there for a few months so where in Florida are you? I'm in Orlando. Okay. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a wild place. So, it's not all Disney World, huh? Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not. Yeah, um, right. So it's, it's kind of, it, it's more in the area I am, it's considered to be a little bit more progressive, okay. not even progressive. It's more democratic. Uh, uh -huh. our, our, uh, Mayor is a former sheriff for Orange County Sheriff's Office. So he, but he's a Democrat. Um, he's huh. the husband of Val Demings. So former Congresswoman Val Demings is uh, his wife. And Buddy Dyer is the mayor of the city of Orlando, and he's also a Democrat. And so this is a Democrat run city mm -hmm, and a mm -hmm. Democrat run county. But at the same time, uh, the state is, you know, Republican ran. Uh, we have right. a we have a supermajority in the state Senate and a majority in the House that's all Republican plus a Republican governor. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is deeply Republican ran. And so right. uh, there is, you know, uh, kind of a. a tug of war but it's not that strong of a tug of war because you know the democrats don't really um they don't really fight like they should like they, they, well, they don't they, they don't like, really care i think it's i think yeah. it's beneficial for them too to have like like you know it was like when when the ruling came down on abortion rights i think they were i think they were thrilled about that you know mm -hmm. I think they're like, oh, great. You know, they, they sent out fundraising e emails just like overnight. They just started like, we're going to we're going to raise millions off of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's the way it is in my state. Um, and I, I put it this way. Flor the way Florida's going if we don't do something about this government, it's going to bleed into, first it's gonna bleed into more of Georgia, you know, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, but then it's going to start bleeding into places like Virginia, Massachusetts, uh, Illinois, um, Michigan, places like that, because they're just like you never, going, never going red again, I don't think. Well, even still, uh, it's like every single time uh, there's a win for the Democrats, they allow they allow more far right elements to come into it. It's it's that the example of the ratchet effect. Yeah. So right. they'll They're go right triangulating and pulling yeah. themselves right. Mm -hmm. And so in 15, 20 years, then the Democratic Party of today, I'm sorry, the Democratic Party of 20 years is going to sound like the Republican Party of today. Right. Because if you yeah, yeah, go yeah. back 20, 30 years and you listen to people like George W. Bush, I'm sorry, George H.W. Bush, you listen to people um you know, 
that were in the Republican Party, they sound right. like the Democrats of today. And, and so and the policy that, proposals the that the Democrats end up putting forward, things like Obamacare, yeah. that was just rebranded Romney Care, you know, yeah. like well, I mean, yeah, uh, basically. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you too was President Biden's going to be giving the State of the Union address tonight. If you could speak to him directly, what specific policy concerns, both domestically and foreign, would you change or request of him? End all uh, U.S. military shipments, uh, materials to Ukraine. Um, stop ratcheting up tensions with China. Um, let Europe operate independently um, for the benefit of its people. Um, take AFRICOM out of Africa, SOUTHCOM oh, out of South America recognize the legitimate government of Venezuela, recognize the legitimate government of Syria, stop sanctioning them so that they can get aid in, so that they can yeah. stop dying from cold after the most devastating earthquake of the century, um, allow them to recover their injured, rescue people and recover their dead. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I would say apologize for Nord Stream 2, rebuild it. Um, uh, abolish the CIA, I would say. And then I would say not just abolish it, scatter its ashes to the wind and then try to um, fire everyone. Un segundo. Um, <laughs> sorry. And, uh, and um, what was I saying? Oh. Uh, well, I was also thinking about ending the blockade and sanctions on Cuba as yep. well. Uh, yep, something yep. like that along those lines. And, all and um, also yeah, we're basically repeal uh, the the eight the the NDAA, um, you know, yeah. and the the NSA uh, basically spying because I honestly don't think they still that they halted actually spying like Edward Snowden. I, Edward Snowden talked about how the NSA was spying. I don't think that they actually oh, literally free stopped. Oh, Julian it. Assange, by the way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I think that's a that's a few of them. Um, that that's some really good takes because the thing is is that the president really has the power, you know, as commander in chief over the armed forces. And so, if, if there's anything that could be directly done by him, that would be it. Oh yeah, uh, that's uh, close. Pull all the troops back from the 800 military bases we have overseas and bring the boys home. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, the best way to really uh, protect our country. 
uh, I think, is to put shovels into the hands of everybody that's enlisted and have them start planting trees, use the Army Corps of Engineers in order to have a more green infrastructure and also have them work in league with civilians in order for us to start rebuilding this country, having a mass high-speed transit railway here that can rival China's. I How mean, about a that's war on just... poverty? How about they fight, they wage a war on oh, poverty? Thank you. How about thank that? You. How about thank you? Uh, yeah, like uh, and then the public works program that can be extended to unemployed people, job training. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, you said it. High speed rail network. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, yeah, really. There's like sky's the limit if we weren't spending a trillion dollars a year to prop up defense contractors and uh, yeah maintain global military hegemony yeah i mean really it's just about propping up for killing machines it's like why don't we instead start doing like cuba and start and stop do, paying for killing machines and start paying for life-saving machines yeah, i mean operation be, miracle sorry about researching vaccines for cancers or things like that or you know yeah trying to get the globe signed up for like a vaccine for money scam thing anyway yeah. that's <laughs> there's, yeah there's yeah. really sky's the limit um yeah i unfortunately don't think that joe biden's people are watching this stream as much as they should be. <laughs> no but no, I, no. I wish they were and i wish they <laughs> would take our advice because uh, i think it'd be a hell of a lot more helpful to the state of the world than whatever it is they're gonna say tonight yeah, definitely. I think most half of the state union address is just going to be people standing up applauding yeah. and sitting back down. That's pretty much all it's going to be. So that's what it usually is. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see though. It, I mean, he's 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 going to get some good applause for shooting down the balloon, and <laughs> oh, that'll be that'll be a bipartisan moment, you know. Uh, oh, that's what's really gosh. uniting. I think that's the only thing uniting America at this point. A balloon. The, sh the shredded bits, plastic bits of the balloon. <laughs> oh, gosh. The balloon, boss, the balloon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I, man, there's so much to talk about. And I... You know, I have more questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. But, dude, well, let's this was uh, say, let's do them next time then, and uh, of course, and uh, well, uh, I, 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 yeah, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to come back on. Um, let me know my schedule's a little bit irregular, but um, yeah, it's been great, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for joining. Also, just to let you all know, you can catch Riot Reed as well on not just uh, on his own um, on his own Twitter feed. You can also catch him in Sputnik News. Um, here my, is the link. This is my Twitter handle. I'm shadow banned, so you have to write it directly into the Twitter handle and just press go to user. Otherwise, I, I won't appear. Um, but I also mm -hmm. am on Telegram too. I post uh, I post there, and you can just type in my name Wyatt Reed, and you will mm -hmm. see uh, my name pop up. 
Yeah. So, you know, that's that. I, you know, I have that all, you know, squared away also in the description below. So if you oh, guys awesome. would like to see, yeah, if you guys like to get some news from White Reed, I highly recommend it. So you guys can educate yourself on what's really going on on the ground. So thanks a lot for joining me, right, White? Thank you. Take care, y'all. All right. Bye. All right, people. So that was a great conversation. I actually learned quite a bit. And that's one of the beauties of having people like Wyatt Reed on the show is that you learn a lot. And this is why I like to have them because a lot of times, you know, especially with corporate media, you get the narrative that it reinforces U.S. hegemony instead of what is really going on on the ground. So I think that's one of the best things to do. And I also want to encourage you guys to, you know, if you're thinking about getting into this space, well, you know, talk to people like Wyatt, talk to people like Fiorella Isabel, or talk to people like Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate, you know, and uh, talk to people like um, Rania Kalik and many others. Why? Because if you want to get the true news that's on the ground, then you, you look to those people who are really talking about, you know, the imperialism that's being done by this country. You know, so I, I just I'm very, you know, happy that I was able to speak with Wyatt and I can't wait to have him back on. I'm definitely going to have him back on soon. So as far as uh, just to let you guys know, um, I just want to thank you guys for uh, being part of this. I hope you guys were able to like the stream. And if you have not yet, then did you subscribe? I also want to thank the patrons on Patreon and Coffee. I have the list up here for patrons on Patreon and Coffee. And thank you all so very much for being patrons on Coffee and Patreon, as well as all the members that are also on this channel. So thank you so very much. Uh, I do have uh, also a super chat from CBE. C uh, I can't talk today. CEB Applejack says salute to White Reed. So thank you so very much. CEB Applejack is also a JB member. And so I am ready to go to the chat. Thanks for the super chat. Yep. X says, Hey, JB, feel silly. Didn't know this was podcast form. I also sent a DM on Twitter's last night. Okay. I'll make sure to take a look at that. Thank you so much. I had dialysis yesterday, so I was out of it, but um, let's go through some uh, of the chat as well. It says quantum alchemist says exactly, including medicine, which Cuba funded and still funds a lot. And they still have a world-class healthcare system and medical universities. I just found out about Operation Miracle, which was instituted by Cuba and Venezuela, which they restored sight to over 4 million people in overly exploited countries. So that was a major thing that I did not know about. And that was amazing. Um, Zay Squirrel actually covered it in one of her Twitter threads uh, recently about Operation Miracle that was done. And they are literally, instead of sending troops to be on the ground to fight these 
proxy wars and these four, and these four regime change wars, the boots that they're putting on the ground are doctors and medical professionals. They're putting doctors and medical professionals on the ground instead of to instead of taking lives, they're helping restore or preserve lives. And it's just an amazing thing. And I wish the United States could do something like that. That would be awesome if instead we can start producing a lot more medical professionals and going to these areas in order to help people to have better health. So that's just something amazing that I would love to see. Hobo Rodi says we could have a great society if we didn't support criminals like in Vietnam. Uh, okay, thank you so much. Um, see, Quatro Alchemist says, fun fact, part of the reason Cuba put so much emphasis on health is because Che himself was a doctor and Cuba kept his legacy after his death. Yes, Dr. Ernesto Guevara. Che Guevara uh, is was a doctor, uh, so and pretty much he was a class trader, which is a lot of people don't realize. And so, yes, class traders can also be revolutionary. So that's something to think about, especially if you're somebody who is technically part of the PMC, the professional managerial class. Just because you're part of that class doesn't mean that you still can't fight for people who are more disenfranchised than you are. And that's a you know Che Guevara really proved that can be done. So that was pretty great. A non-user says, "Thank you to have a great rest of day. Thank you so very much." We have Tim MC says it will be another disgusting display of white supremacist imperialism, like all state of the unions. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to have to watch tonight, and I really don't want to because uh, I just, uh, Joe Biden. Deborah Grossbach says, this was an awesome interview, JB and Wyatt. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Wadi is also in the chat as well. Let me see. Hang on. Go there. Okay. And Wadi gives a thank you to Wyatt. Bryce Smith is also in the chat saying, thanks again, Wyatt, for coming on. Awesome as usual, JB. Thank you so very much. Christina T is also in the chat. Thank you so very much as well. All right. And Raziel the Great says, a wide breadth of information has to come from a wide range of sources that you never see on PMC channels or the MC. I'm sorry, the MSM. Thank you so much. Good to see you, Jay, the informant. All right, thanks for the thumbs up. What happened there, JB? What do you mean? I don't get it. Oh, good to see you. All right, Kimberly Mims, thank you so much for the super sticker. Appreciate it, appreciate it as well. All right. Thanks to Yep X becoming a new member. Thank you so very much. All right. Give it up. Clap it up for Yep X. Thank you so much for uh, being a new JB member. All right. Yep X says, member with JB, Savvy, and Patreon of RBN now. Thank you. Oh, man, dialysis. Yeah, uh, I, I have chronic kidney failure. So I go to dialysis three times a week. 
been doing it for about 15 years now. So yeah, this is why you guys don't see me streaming on Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays because yeah, I have to do that thing. So yeah, that's my life. Trying to get myself uh, ready for a transplant. So hopefully I can do that as well. Zero Joshua, I can't see your emoji, but thank you so much. I don't, it just shows a box. So, but thank you. Zero Joshua is also a JV member. So thank you so very much. I appreciate it. I'm going to check on The Rock to see. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, Rockfin is a little glitchy. But hopefully, it'll show the, the chat on Rockfin to whoever is. Oh, <laughs> it's a heart. Thank you so very much. Yeah. Kimberly uh, says, sorry to hear that. Good luck on transplant. Thank you so very much. Yeah. I'm giving plasma to support Patreon. You don't have to look, you don't have to do that for, for us. Um, if you're look, I'll, I'll put it like this. If you are in a disenfranchised position as either disabled or you have to work multiple jobs or anything like that, take care of yourself first. Make sure that you're good. Okay. That's what's most important because we'll be fine. We will make it. Okay. But for you, I want you to make sure you take care of yourself. And I'm saying this to everyone that's watching. I know. Yes. Am I basically a hair's breadth from the poverty line? Poverty line. Yes. But at the same time, you guys also need to make sure to take care of yourself first because you know if i suddenly have to stop doing the jb show because i need to work well i guess that's just going to have to be the end of the jb show the jb font channel but i want you guys you know i want to cover this as much as i possibly can but i don't want you guys to take away from yourself in order to support this channel you know what i'm saying uh you know so i i appreciate it very much you know but Worker solidarity also means uh, not taking from some people who are the most disenfranchised. You know what I mean? So, you know, uh, you know, you have, you know, my support, whether you're a patron or not. You know what I mean? Because that's what's important. Um, Quantum Alchemist says, damn, I'm sorry to hear. I never dealt with kidneys before. As for transplants, there is a new transplant technique using ghost organs that could be promising in the new future. That is, that does sound interesting. It, would, it, would it be something with regarding um, stem cells? I don't know. I, I think the technology is growing. Well, if we didn't have to depend on corporations and for profit and profit, then we probably could do it even better. But you know, having to, being able to grow your own organ so that you can use it to transplant, you know, your own DNA so that you won't have to take anti-rejection medicine sounds like something, you know, that would be a great thing to have. I mean, then 
you won't have to buy the expensive anti-rejection medicine. I think the anti-rejection medicine ranges between three and five thousand dollars a month for a 30-day supply, which is extremely expensive just to keep yourself alive or to keep yourself in good health. You know, so it's 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 wild. MS, thank you so much for the super sticker. MS is also a JB member. Thank you so very much. And thank you, uh, Quantum Alchemist. Reminds me of a Chinese saying, when you are poor, you have a responsibility to take care of yourself. When you're rich, you have a responsibility to take care of the world. That's interesting. Thank you so much. I, I like that, actually. Yeah. Uh, if you have to work, hope you can still do podcasts and work with RBN. Yeah, it's just if I, if I do, then there's really no time or energy or bandwidth to really do anything else. Because dialysis really takes a lot out of me. Um, and it's just, it's not only physical extreme exhaustion. It's also mental extreme exhaustion too. It's like, I don't really have the bandwidth to even think that well. Like my thoughts literally get very cloudy. And if you think I'm ha having a bad time searching for words in my head to say now, it's even way worse after dialysis. This is also why I typically try not to do shows or interviews on dialysis days, even if it's in the evening time, because it's just, it wipes me out. So yeah, Deborah says carrying illness is counter to capitalism. Yeah. Uh, see ghost organs work like this and no, it is not, it is without stem cells. We use an animal heart, mostly pig, and then decellularize it, meaning we remove all the cells from the heart except the connective tissue, and then use your body cells on it from narrow most from marrow mostly and plant them on the decellularized heart. Oh, is is, is it kind of like uh, taking the bricks and all the the innards of basically a building but leaving the 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 the, the beams and the, the structure and the you know load bearing beams and whatnot and the foundation but you just build around rebuild around it uh your body cells settle on the heart and they also change somehow they know how to act they know they need to act as heart cells okay wow that's pretty interesting ghost organs and it says, and then you, when you have a heart, your body's on cells. Your body does not reject. Interesting technique and smart, too. Oh, all right. That is interesting. Hmm. I need, to, I need to ask somebody about that. But here's the problem. For the capitalists, if that takes off, then it's less expensive and big pharma is not going to like that because they need to sell these anti-rejection medicines uh one of the problems and i didn't think i was going to be talking about this on the show today but there's a massive amount of people that's growing more and more that actually are experiencing chronic kidney failure and so because of that it is also increasing the amount of people that need to be on different types of medications me alone, I'm on, see, one, I'm only on two medications, right? But 
I'm the lucky one because there are many people who are on dialysis on five, six, seven different medications that they have to take. Not to mention the medications that are given through dialysis as well. Because I also have one, two, three, three medications that's given through dialysis. And some people have even more. So it's just, it's, it's wild. But yeah. By the way, you know, uh, I also, I'm just thinking about it. Um, how is the sound on these? Are this, is, do I sound okay? Because I don't have a regular microphone. I need to get one, but I just don't have the money for it. But um, do I sound at least okay? So, because sometimes I'm like, uh, I don't know. It does like it. Uh, you can hear me, but the sound quality—that's what I mean. Okay, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. All right. Okay, thank you so much. I'm actually using the webcam microphone, so I just wanted to make sure that I at least was halfway decent. Um, but yeah, so um, just to let you guys know, also, if you guys are not subscribed to my Substack, I have that as well. So it's jbfont.substack.com. And so you guys can go there and get the email notifications so that whenever I do go live, you guys actually get the notifications of when it's going to be from me. Uh, sometimes the notifications from YouTube are not as reliable. And then also, and this is another thing, and I was talking to Savvy Saps earlier, uh, make sure that you're still subscribed, please, because some people get automatically unsubscribed. And if you're not, then please make sure to do that because sometimes the, subs the subs subscription is taken down. So if you guys can do that as well, I really appreciate it because, you know, I'm trying to grow the channel in order to push more stories like this out there as well. Uh, so, yeah, so thank you to everybody for tuning in. I am very grateful for Wyatt Reed coming on. This Thursday, I'm going to have on Jimmy Dore, so we're going to be having a great conversation. I would like to talk to him about what was said at the State of the Union address tonight, as well as, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to end up talking to me about what Crystal Ball said about us having to grow up, but that will be an interesting conversation, too. And then we can also get on about what happened at the earthquake in Syria. Uh, that is a terrible event that just happened. And the United States is not helping with their sanctions and continuing the sanctions. And it means that people are going to continue suffering because they cannot get the help that they need. The United States really needs to lift sanctions on all these countries because it, it just perpetuates suffering across the world. And if this country prides itself on being, you know, for human rights, then that would be a no-brainer position to be on is to end the sanctions on some of these countries. But the United States does not truly believe in human rights. Many of the citizens do, but the people within the government do not believe in human rights. And so uh, it, it is very imperative that the United States 
drop these sanctions because every single time they keep them up, you know, more people die, particularly a lot of babies are dying. And so that's a heart-wrenching story. I'm not exactly sure if we're going to cover that on RBN Live, but if we do, be prepared. So I'll be on RBN Live in a few minutes. Uh, but yes, um, thank you so very much for everybody tuning in. Uh, also, I will be covering the next part, uh, chapter six of Asada Shakur's book, Asada Shakur's autobiography. Um, also, I also did a series, the 11 Demand series, that's also in a playlist here on this channel. So if you guys want to take a look at the 11 Demand series that I, uh, it's basically clips of Corey and his son, Eric, I'm sorry, Eric and his son, Corey being on here and talking about the 11 demands. So I did an 11 demand series as well. So thank you so very much for everybody tuning in and, uh, and uh, water your plants, water yourselves. Hang on. Yeah, we're good. Water. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to check Rockman just to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Water your plants, water yourselves, leave the world better than you found it. Um, I haven't said this in a while. Smoke them if you got them, drink them if you got them. <laughs> if you don't got them, then watch something funny because joy is revolutionary. Oh, mwah, forehead kisses to every single one of you. And uh, if you don't feel like watching the state in your dress, don't just, 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 just stay away. Listen to some music, jam on or something like that. Just do it. All right. Jimmy Dewar Thursday. Noah Krejcevic on Saturday. I'm doing two streams. Thank you.